Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Hosted by oncology social workers, Cancer Out Loud takes a closer look at the cancer experience using the power of storytelling. For those that are familiar with us, we are now bringing a fresh approach, embracing a new format that allows us to dive deeper into the world of cancer, one episode at a time. Instead of seasons, we're introducing numbered episodes, each offering a unique perspective, expert insights, and personal narratives that will educate, uplift, and empower. Whether you are a patient, survivor, caregiver, someone that lost a loved one, or someone hoping to find inspiration, Cancer Out Loud is your sanctuary, a place to find hope, understanding, and a sense of community. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Welcome back to another episode of Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. My name is Sarah Paul, and I'm the Director of Clinical Programs and your host. November is National Family Caregivers Month, and we'd like to take this opportunity to dive deeper into the often unseen world of cancer caregiving. Today, we're joined by Dina Smith, the Caregiver Program Coordinator at Cancer Care. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you share a bit about your journey and experience as an oncology social worker so far? Sure. So I started right after college by working at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center as a session assistant. And there I was able to really understand the ins and of oncology medical work and oncology social work as well. I worked very closely with the oncology social worker on our unit, and from her, I learned a lot more about what oncology social work is and what it entails. It sounded very interesting to me, and from there, I started working on my master's. I interned at Mount Sinai West's outpatient hematology and oncology unit. That solidified my interest in oncology social work. And I actually learned about cancer care through that internship and hoped that someday I would end up there. And here I am today. And we're so glad that you are here. So what motivated you to specialize in working with cancer caregivers, considering all of the things that you've seen so far in your career? I truly believe that cancer caregivers are the unsung heroes. Not only are they emotionally and physically helping their loved ones, but they're also dealing with their own emotions about the cancer diagnosis, all while maintaining strength and courage for their loved ones and other family members and friends. I also know that many caregivers don't have an outlet, and because of this, I thoroughly enjoy acting as that outlet for them, letting them be their authentic selves, all while supporting them in counseling or even on a simple phone call. Thank you so much for sharing your background. When we think about cancer caregivers and the variety of things that land in their lap when a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, what are some of the most common challenges that you have seen that cancer caregivers are facing? 
There are so many challenges that cancer caregivers face. And if we talked about the challenges, that would take up a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> so I will name just a few. But oftentimes the appointments with oncolog- uh, with the oncologist are, are very patient focused. And the doctor will provide a ton of very helpful information to the patient about how to fight the cancer diagnosis, the treatment, what they need to know about the cancer diagnosis, et cetera. Um, But however, the caregiver is oftentimes left to figure out how to caretake on their own. So, you know, oftentimes the medical provider will say, okay, you are a cancer patient. This is what is going to happen to you, or this may happen to you. And, and, um, you know, caregivers are often left to their own devices. And while caring for someone may seem straightforward to many, I've seen countless caregivers face various challenges, such as figuring out how to alleviate treatment side effects for their loved one, how to advocate for themselves and their loved one in the medical facility, researching other treatment options or even clinical trials. So oftentimes they have to learn how to do this themselves and that can be very tiring and difficult. Um, Another common challenge I see is caregiver burnout. Burnout symptoms, again, I could take up a whole podcast about the symptoms, but I'll just name a few here. They include things like fatigue, decreased immune system, weight fluctuations, increased feelings of anxiousness, sadness, irritability, to name a few. Uh, So sometimes caregivers don't understand that these are signs of burnout, or they try to ignore these symptoms by telling themselves that, uh, oh, their loved one has it worse than they do. But it's so important to take care of yourself so that you can successfully take care of your loved one. I mean, think about what we hear on airplanes, put on your own mask before you help, help your loved one. That still holds true to cancer caregiving as well. We know that caregivers face a unique set of challenges. And oftentimes they don't know where to start when taking care of their emotional health or their mental health. And so I'm wondering, how do these emotional and mental health issues manifest in caregivers and how can they be addressed? No matter what type of caregiver you are, whether you're a short distance or long distance, primary or secondary caregiver, there are always going to be challenges. Caregiving can lead to emotional and physical strain, and if not properly addressed, it can lead to burnout those symptoms and feelings that I was talking about. So it's really important to set up respite care, either for your loved one or for someone else whom you're taking care of, such as perhaps you have children under 18 in the household, or maybe you're taking care of an elderly loved one. And for those who don't understand what respite care is, it means putting in place care for your loved one. So having a neighbor, a friend, another family member take care of another person person. I also like to remind caregivers that self-care is not selfish. It actually is needed. And finally, if you are a working caregiver, it may not hurt to talk to human resources at your workplace or even your supervisor or boss about what is going on at home. 
if you feel comfortable doing so, because they may be able to work with you, making your schedule a little more flexible, understanding if you need to take a little more time off than is usually allowed. Oftentimes, they will work with you in order to figure out how to ensure that you don't get burnt out at work as well. And that's really important because we know that a lot of caregivers have multiple jobs in terms of they might have a full-time job and their other full-time job is caring for their loved one. And many of our caregivers feel like they can't always advocate for what they need within the workplace. And, and sometimes it's because they don't know where to start. And so I think it's important for us to share that it's possible to talk to HR, to get support from your employer around some of these issues. Now, we can't promise that every place of employment has protections in place for, for caregivers, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Thinking about what happens when burnout does show up, what does that look like? What, what does it look like when someone might be feeling depressed or anxious or burnt out about their caregiving experience? You mentioned something that I, I do also want to highlight in that cancer caregiving is a full-time job. No matter if you are a primary or secondary caregiver, et cetera, it is a full-time job. So, you know, you may experience symptoms and signs of burnout. And yeah, it is important to look out for those. Number one, be honest with yourself about how you're truly feeling. Do a check-in with yourself. Understand and recognize the common signs of burnout. And you can look these up on a trusted website, whether that's cancercare.org or another similar website. But some common signs of burnout include physical signs such as fatigue, decreased immune system, weight fluctuations, appetite loss, appetite gain. You also may experience different types of emotions, like a whole spectrum, hopelessness, sadness, anger, worry, irritability. You may also have uh, experienced a lot of restless sleep, which could lead to emotional fluctuations. To that, I say, seek counseling, maintain your own medical appointments that you go to, because this is also important. Your doctor may be able to help you out with these signs of burnout. Practice self-care, whatever that looks like for you, and try not to put your priorities aside. You need to think about what is sustainable. I agree. And I think that that word, sustainable, or you know, the idea of sustainability sometimes feels out of reach for caregivers, but some of the message today is to encourage caregivers to look at the sustainability of their role, look at where they might need extra support, understand that, like you said, Dina, self-care is not selfish. And self-care doesn't always mean, you know, paying for a massage or going to the spa. A lot of times it might just mean taking a shower or sitting down for a half hour to have a cup of tea or coffee and just be without running from place to place. So I hope that that also comes across today. We know that being a caregiver comes with a lot of complex emotional challenges. But beyond these emotional aspects, what are some of the practical difficulties that they often encounter, especially when trying to balance caregiving with their personal life? 
financial issues are a big practical issue that um, a lot of social workers see in cancer caregivers. And this can be due to a lot of reasons. Perhaps maybe you went from a household that had two paychecks and perhaps that person has to stop working. So now the household has to rely on one paycheck. Or perhaps the person's insurance is not fully covering all of the cancer treatment and oncology follow-up visits. So that can also create a significant financial strain. In addition, scheduling and keeping organized can be another practical issue and definitely make a schedule, like put up a schedule a cork board or a race board to maintain organization. For instance, it can be a strain because maybe you have to take your loved one to various medical appointments that may not even be within a 30-minute drive. It could be longer. So if you're taking your loved one to a medical appointment, if you do have children, you know, you have to set up care for your children. You know, who's going to watch the children? Who's going to take them to their sports practice, for instance? Preparation is another common issue that I see. So understanding, for instance, your loved one's treatment side effects, you know, what are the possible side effects that my loved one could go through? And what are some things that for instance, maybe I need to buy or I need to be prepared for in order to make my loved one more comfortable. Finally, getting answers from the medical team. I do see this a lot where caregivers are oftentimes confused as to, um, you know, why, for instance, it's so hard to get in touch with their medical provider. I sometimes see this. This is not always the case, but perhaps maybe they don't know if their loved one is experiencing something. Do they need to call the doctor? Do they need to go to the ER? Um, or maybe if they do just have a non-urgent question, how do they get in touch with their medical team? Do they use the patient portal? Do they send an email? Do they call the secretary? It's really hard to determine the best possible way to get a clear answer. So that's definitely another practical issue that I see. And I think, and you know, we'll, we will address this in actually just a few minutes when we talk more about communication, because that's a big piece of it. And advocating to the medical team, communicating to the medical team, these are all things that caregivers are tasked with and often feel sometimes burdened by. And it's just because of the difficulty in connecting. How can caregivers balance their own life responsibilities? Because you mentioned like maintaining doctor's appointments and making a self-care plan that really focuses on a caregiver's mental health and physical health. But how do they balance those with caregiving duties? So definitely seek help. This is so important. I know that you, you know, if any caregivers are listening to this, I know you think you can do it all, but it's okay to admit if you can't, that's okay. Ask for an oncology social worker, for instance, at the medical facility or even a patient navigator. Also set up respite care. There are so many websites that you can do this on. For instance, lots of helping hands or my cancer circle are really great because you can invite a select few 
family or friends to be a part of this private forum and you can send out updates about your loved one or perhaps even set up a schedule stating, okay, on on Monday the 20th, we need someone to make a meal for us. Or on Friday the 15th, we need someone to bring our child to soccer practice. So this is a great way to seek help and ensure that you're not sending out a bunch of different text messages and emails to a lot of different people. That can be just way too time consuming. In addition, please seek counseling or case management services. Not only does a counselor, therapist, and case manager, not only could they potentially help with therapy, counseling, but they could also help with balancing those practical responsibilities. You know, if you do express that you are feeling a little bit disorganized or disoriented, they could help you figure out how to be a little more organized, planning for a less stressful future, for instance. Uh, And lastly, you know, I kind of already mentioned this, but putting up a big calendar for you and your loved one, it's so easy to forget because you're running around doing a million things. And for instance, your loved one may also be forgetting as well. And so it's important to just put up in clear writing, you know, what the schedule is for each family member. Or if you feel like that's not possible to set up a big calendar, set smartphone reminders and alerts. That is very easy to do. You can do this on your smartphone or even your loved one's smartphone as well. Those are great suggestions. And I think too, for our listeners, you know, there, there really is no shame in asking for help or trying to, you know, troubleshoot and figure out what the best system is going to be, whether that be you're utilizing something like My Cancer Circle or, you know, using resources in your community. We really want to encourage people to keep asking for help and to really destigmatize any feelings of shame um, or even feeling of weakness for needing that help, because we recognize that it isn't really easy to do. So when we think about navigating these practical issues and having all these responsibilities, how does this all impact family dynamics and relationships? It can definitely impact both familial and friend relationships as well. The most common one that I see is this term called role reversal. So role reversal is when a member of the family perhaps is taking care of their loved one, but roles are reversed. So you can think, for instance, about perhaps a teenager or a young adult taking care of their parent. You know, the roles are kind of reversed in that the parent has been typically taking care of the teenager or young adult, and now the role is flipped. You know, maybe an adult has been taking care of their elderly loved one for a while, and now if the adult gets sick, the elderly parent or loved one has to now take care of the adult. So role reversal can lead to feelings of isolation, confusion, um, because this is just something that you're not used to. I also say, you know, seek counseling, confide in a friend or another family member about how that's affecting you. When a cancer diagnosis affects a family or friend relationship, it oftentimes comes with the feeling of grief. And I just want to take a moment to step back here and say grief does not necessarily 
mean mourning for someone who has passed. You can grieve something that's even tangible, or you can grieve something that is still current. But for instance, you can grieve the relationship that you once had with your spouse. So let's say you're taking care of your spouse. You can grieve the relationship that you once had with that loved one. Or there's also a term that uh, many counselors and therapists use called anticipatory grief, which is also grieving something that you thought you would have. So for instance, let's take the example of the spouse taking care of the spouse. You could grieve the future that you had hoped for with your spouse. Maybe you were family planning and then one of you got hit with a cancer diagnosis. You can grieve the planning of having children in your future. And that's very common. And again, I say seek help from a family member or friend, confide in them and be open about these feelings of grief or role reversal too. I think that's a great message. And for those listening, There are, of course, some repetitive themes here because we want people to understand how important it is to lean on support systems, whether that be your family, your friends, people in the community, or professional support, a social worker, a therapist, a case manager, you know, everyone's support network is going to look different. And it's all about how you connect with those supports. But sometimes I do recognize going back to what we were talking about with communication and the medical team, that this can be difficult. So do you have any advice for caregivers to communicate effectively with not only the person that they're caring for, but also with healthcare professionals and the medical team? Please be honest with how you are doing and how you are feeling. Um, So for instance, when you're in the medical facility with your loved one, or even if you're just phoning in and your loved one is just by themselves physically in the doctor's office, still be honest. I highly recommend that to whomever is listening right now, whether you're a, a patient or a caregiver, take a look back at a coping circle that I facilitated about shared decision-making. This is a great way to learn how to communicate your abilities while also establishing healthy boundaries. Also, bring written questions to the doctor's office and write down what the provider says. Perhaps if the doctor is using a bunch of medical jargon, you can ask the doctor to draw a picture, Uh, draw a picture of what is going on in your loved one's body so that you can better understand and better be prepared for how to help your loved one. Finally, I know I mentioned this previously, but use the patient portal. It is there for a reason. And typically you can actually on your smartphone download an app that Uh, connects you directly to the patient portal, or if you're more of a computer user, um, bookmark it and so that you don't have to uh, figure out what the URL is again. And use that to communicate with your loved one's medical team. I've oftentimes seen that uh, uh, doctors, oncologists, nurse practitioners, etc. will answer the patient portal a lot quicker than perhaps if you phone in and leave a voicemail. So definitely try to figure out how to use that platform as well. That's great. 
And we know that communication plays such a crucial role in this journey, whether you are a patient or a caregiver. And so, you know, we already started to talk about building a support system, what that may look like. So can we talk a little bit about what types of support are available for cancer caregivers or what types of support might be the most beneficial? And this kind of goes back to what I was saying previously as well, and that, you know, you as the caregiver may go with your loved one to the doctor's office and they may try to give the patient a bunch of different counseling resources. And you as the caregiver may end up walking out of there saying, well, wait, what about me? And you may think they're are no counseling services for you. But that is not true. There are so many counseling resources for caregivers out there. Um, for instance, there is peer counseling um, where you're matched with someone who has been in a similar situation as yourself. So you would be matched with another cancer caregiver. Um, there are also tons of support groups, both live, in person, Zoom, or even online messaging based. And of course, there's also individual one on one counseling. As well. And so, can you recommend any resources or programs that you know of that assist caregivers in managing all these different responsibilities and, and their role as a caregiver? So, I'm a little biased because I'm going to say please reach out to Cancer Care. Cancer Care offers individual counseling to New York and New Jersey residents, as well as Zoom support groups. We also do offer online messaging based support groups to people nationwide, including caregivers. But in addition to Cancer Care, there is also the Caregiver Action Network and the American Cancer Society. Uh, both platforms have so much helpful information and tools that are free and available to cancer caregivers. I would also recommend reaching out to triage cancer if you are having any work, legal, or insurance-related issues, either for yourself or for your loved one. Those resources sound really great, and I think it's a, a, a good place to start for a lot of people that might Google cancer caregiver support and get hundreds and hundreds of hits on, on different resources. So I appreciate that. We already talked about different signs of burnout and different signs of symptoms of emotional distress. So how can caregivers deal with these intense feelings that we've described, feelings of guilt, anxiety, or helplessness? So please know that all of these feelings that you are experiencing are normal. I know that society will sometimes kind of say to people, you know, try to uh, get rid of those feelings of anxiousness or sadness or guilt and try to focus on the positive. But to that, I say, don't push the negative emotions away. Oftentimes, it's kind of impossible. And number two, it's okay to sit with those feelings. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. Um, just know that and be honest with yourself about this and with your loved one about how you're feeling. Please don't try to fight this emotional battle alone. It could be helpful and beneficial to be open and honest with your loved one about how you're how you're truly feeling. It's really wonderful that a lot of caregivers can put on such a brave face and be ready and willing to help at all times. But remember that you're human and it's important to just be honest with yourself about that and 
take care of yourself, both, you know, physically and emotionally. Where do you suggest that they start? I oftentimes tell caregivers to, number one, seek counseling. I know I sound like a broken record here that you know, seek counseling, seek counseling, seek counseling, but it's so true. Please rely on an objective opinion because that objective opinion may be able to help you realize things about yourself or about your caregiving abilities that you did not already know. If you would like to take more of an independent approach, I also encourage caregivers to start journaling. There are so many helpful prompts that you can even just find online or even in your local bookstore, checking a journal there to see what types of prompts you could do daily or regularly. I also encourage caregivers to use meditative or grounding exercises. And if you're not sure what grounding means, it basically means keeping yourself in the present, making you feel literally grounded here in the in the here and now. So use apps like Headspace or Calm or even just YouTube calming meditative exercises. Talk to a friend, perhaps phone a friend or another family member. And again, trying to focus on the present. This can be really hard to do sometimes, but worrying about something in the future is worrying about something that we probably can't control. So by focusing on what's happening in the present moment will make you feel more in control and more grounded as well. And I know that to those listening, This may seem easier said than done, but I think that part of this episode is to not only highlight the challenges, but to also talk about how to move through them, how to navigate through them with confidence. That means really understanding what your needs are, which can be difficult for a lot of us that have never asked ourselves, what do I need? And so when we think about maintaining well being, can you talk a little bit more about? the importance of setting boundaries and understanding one's limits. This one phrase that I really think is very important, and that is, say yes to yourself and no to others. Now, I probably know what you're thinking right now, which is why would I do that? That just sounds so selfish, but it's not selfish. You need to maintain healthy boundaries in order to, I like to say, protecting your energy and ensuring that you can get through the day, you know, feeling good about yourself, feeling good about helping your loved ones, either who have cancer or even who do not have cancer. So again, it's important to, for instance, sometimes tell yourself, okay, yeah, I I am going to take a break and maybe get a massage. Or if that is not on your plate, you can just simply take a long, hot shower or even practice a 10-minute app meditative exercise. And perhaps maybe your loved one is saying, oh, can you uh, fix me a snack? Or um, maybe a friend is saying, oh, let's go see a movie. It's okay to say either, well, give me a few minutes. I'm just going to take care of this one thing for myself. Or 
perhaps just saying no to that friend who wants to go out and see that movie because maybe that's just not in the books for you right now. And that's okay. They will understand. Or if they don't initially understand, you can just explain, you know, hey, I just, I need some time for myself. I need some time to recharge my battery so that in the future, in the near future, I can both help my loved one and be more present with you. And I think that understanding and managing all of this is so incredibly vital, especially because we know that as the cancer journey progresses, the role of the caregiver can evolve and it can change. And a lot of times things don't look the same month to month or even year to year for those that are caregiving for a loved one that has a more chronic presenting illness. So can you talk a little bit more about how the caregiving role evolves throughout the cancer treatment journey? Absolutely. As you mentioned, it may not be linear. It could be linear, but it may not be. I like to think of cancer caregiving as a spectrum, and we can pivot from one end to the other at all times. But just remember that you as the cancer caregiver are learning something new about yourself every day, no matter where you are on that continuum or that spectrum, you're just learning more about yourself as a caregiver every single day. And over time, your responsibilities may increase or they may decrease depending on what your loved one's progress is. So please remember to be patient with yourself because it is a learning curve. Whether your loved one, for instance, has to stop treatment or perhaps may need additional treatment, you know, you're learning more about what you need for yourself and what your loved one needs too. And I think it's so important for those listening to reflect on their own caregiving experience to see how it has changed over time, how their needs have shifted, and giving themselves permission to adapt to those changing needs, because it's hard to know what to expect. There are so many unknown variables in the cancer experience for both patients and for caregivers. So is there any way for people to prepare for changes or for anything like that? Yes, you can prepare for every single thing. But at the same time, sometimes we are just dealing with the unknown. We're dealing with the worry of, you know, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, A lot of my cancer caregivers will use that phrase. And absolutely, it kind of always feels like maybe cancer caregivers are waiting for something else that's bad to happen. But just remember, again, that it's important to be patient with yourself, be patient with your loved one, try to practice flexibility. And if it feels like waiting for the other shoe to drop is just so emotionally unmanageable, that is something that an oncology social worker in particular can help you with understanding that we may not know what the future holds, but the oncology social worker can help you understand and feel okay with that and help you focus more on what's happening in the present, understanding and focusing on things that you can control. Our mind is running at a mile a minute with emotional fears, worries, and concerns. 
the oncology social worker can give you a lot of exercises and helpful tools in order to slow your mind down and keep it a little more calm. I love that. And I think putting tools in a toolbox, figuratively or literally, is an important part of the cancer experience, especially for caregivers. And I know that we have talked very generally about different areas of cancer caregiving, because this is really meant to be an introduction to what caregivers experience on a day-to-day -day basis. But from your professional experience, and you have shared a couple of really important messages so far with us, but there is there one message in particular that you share most frequently with cancer caregivers? I mentioned it just recently, but I always tell cancer caregivers to say yes to yourself and no to others. Self-care is a need, it's not a want and it's not selfish. So please practice some form of self-care. I also encourage caregivers to focus on what they want. It, that's not selfish either. So I know that thinking about just your needs kind of seems like survival mode, and that may feel like that's what you're in at this time. But in order to maintain a healthy and fruitful lifestyle, try to focus on those wants. Like what do you what do you truly want right now? Is it going to the grocery store and buying your favorite food product? Is it going with a friend to maybe get a pedicure just for, you know, a solid 20 minutes? That's okay and it's necessary. Your needs are just as important as your wants at this time. And once again, that's not selfish. You're absolutely right. It's not selfish. That plays a role into the common misconceptions around caregiving. So are there any other myths or misconceptions or misunderstandings that you see when working with cancer caregivers? So just because you, the cancer caregiver, aren't the cancer patient does not mean that the cancer diagnosis doesn't affect you emotionally and physically as well. I will work with cancer caregivers who will say, you know, yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm stressed. Yes, I, I'm feeling sick. But I don't have it as bad as my loved ones, so I, I really shouldn't complain. And I try to emphasize and normalize, like, no, you as the cancer caregiver do have your own frustrations and concerns and lots of other responsibilities that you have to take care of. And you are entitled to feeling scared about this cancer diagnosis. That's okay, too. Be open with your loved one about how you're feeling because you may find that they actually want to be emotionally supporting you just as much as you are emotionally supporting them. So please be honest with yourself and know that we're not superheroes. I, you know, cancer caregivers are kind of superheroes, but just remember that you're human and that's okay. And you're allowed to feel scared. You're allowed to feel tired and you are allowed to verbalize those things. Absolutely. Before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you want to share? 
So please remember, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So if you think about a marathon, you know, sometimes runners have to pace themselves. They have to pace themselves. They have to walk some of the miles. Uh, That's okay. So know that cancer caregiving is just like that. Sometimes you're going to have to walk. Sometimes you're going to have to pace yourself. Sometimes you're going to have a lot of energy and you can, you can figuratively run and that's amazing. But just remember that it, you know, cancer caregiving requires resiliency, patience, determination, empathy, and lots and lots of self-care. So remember that you do not have to do everything at once. You do not have to do everything perfectly all the time. It is okay to figuratively walk some miles. That, that's okay. It is okay. And, you know, there's more than one way to finish that race, right? So I think that also encouraging people to find their own way, which might look different from another caregiver that you know. We know that often when people are touched by cancer, other people might come out of the woodwork and say, well, when my mom had cancer or my brother had cancer, XYZ happened. Remember that each individual experience is going to be different. And while there are similarities, it's okay to do the things that work the best for you and your loved one. So I just want to thank you so much, Dina, for joining us. And I also want to give a shout out to all the caregivers who are caring for a loved one with cancer, someone in their life with chronic illness. We know how difficult it is. We see you and we thank you for everything that you do. I witness every day how difficult your position is and the work that you're putting in. And just know that I am always your biggest cheerleader and all of the social workers here at Cancer Care and beyond are always going to be your biggest cheerleader. Thanks so much, Dina. Thanks for tuning in to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including resource navigation, cancer-focused counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope Line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.